I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a lecture by Carl Abrahamson on the Temple of Psychic Youth. Pulled from his book, A Culture, The Unseen Forces That Drive Culture Forward, available from Inner Traditions. Carl and I will be hosting a series of events this September at Morbid Anatomy Museum online every Sunday at 2 o'clock Eastern. That's 2 o'clock New York time, which is 11 a.m. in California and 8 p.m. here in the EU. The first of these lectures will be September 5th with Dr. Isabel Millar presenting Artificial Intelligence and the Patti Political Body. And I'll also be speaking that night on Freud's Explorations of the Occult. That's Sunday, September 5th. Then the following Sunday, September 12th, I'll be in discussion with writer and director Anna Biller of The Love Witch and Viva, one of my favorite film directors. And also that same day, Mary Wilde will be presenting on taxidermy in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. That's Sunday, September 12th. The following week, September 19th, we have The Scarlets, Peter Gray and Alkistis Demek presenting on the two antichrists, which is pulled from Peter Gray's new book of the same name. He's discussing the work of Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology and witchcraft. That's Sunday, September 19th. Then the final event in the series is on September 26th. We have Blanche Barton on death imagery in Satanism, and Carl Abrahamson will be presenting Memento Mori forever. That's Sunday, September 26th. For information and links to all these events, you can visit psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org. Or you can go directly to Morbid Anatomy's website, that's morbidanatomy.org, and visit their events page. That's M-O-R-B-I-D-A-N-A-T-O-M-Y dot org slash events. See you there. Welcome to the Occulture Lecture Series with Carl Abrahamson. Okay, so I'm here today to talk about an interesting phenomenon that existed for approximately 10 years, between 1982 and 1992. And this phenomenon was like a mix between a magical order 
a think tank, an archive, an experiment in intentional art, and many other things. I'm talking about the Temple of Psychic Youth, or TOPI for short, which spread out of the UK and into the world and soon reached thousands of members and or subscribers to Topi's frequent newsletters and information. My own involvement in this began around 1984, when I started out as a humble subscriber to newsletters, and I bought records, pamphlets, fanzines, etc. from Topi's own mail order in the UK. I was very interested in all things occult at the time, and I immediately realized that Topi was something brand new. Everything that I had read about magic and occultism always dealt with something old, arcane, systematically symbolic, and quite dusty. Not so with Topi. I became very enthused and I got involved. I started working with the UK people and set up a Scandinavian branch or access point, aptly called Topi Scan. And this later developed into Topi Europe, which for me meant basically a lot of administration run out of my little apartment in Stockholm. And it was an incredibly creative time, I have to say. TopiScan, Topi Europe, and an affiliated company that I started called Psychic Release put out books, cassettes, CDs, vinyl records, video cassettes, arranged workshops, lectures, film and video screenings, concerts, as well as more esoteric things like group rituals and magical workshops for those really active within this highly pragmatic sphere. Sometime in 1991, I burnt out and decided to not carry on, as the administration had simply become so overwhelming. And interestingly enough, the key people in the UK and the US had felt exactly the same thing at about the same time. We basically decided it was time to end Topi as we knew it. A first phase of 10 hyper-interesting years had gone by. So. How do we begin when looking at this phenomenon? If we look to the UK, where it all began, we can recognize some well-known people. Artist Genesis Peorage and his collaborators at the time, like Peter Christofferson from the former project Throbbing Gristle, and David Tibet, and Alistair Crowley Romantic, who also formed the band Current 93, decided to try and create a group synthesizing their own inspirations in art, in magic, and at the same time commenting upon or influencing the harsh political climate of the UK. With magical mentors like Alistair Crowley, Austin Osman Spare, tribal shamanism, and the literary and artistic cut-up applications of William Burroughs and Brian Geisin, and artistic seed like the Surrealists, Dada, male art, Situationism, 60s counterculture, and many, many other things, a core developed that would grow to form the Temple of Psychic Youth as a communal and quaquaversal entity rather than a hierarchic traditional order with followers. At center stage of this new hybrid was a video group that also made music called Psychic Television or PTV. 
This was formed by PRH, Christofferson, musician Alex Ferguson and David Tibet was there also at an early stage. Taking advantage of the unlikely successes and infamy of their predecessor, Throbbing Gristle, the group secured record deals with major labels like Warner and CBS, which at the time was almost beyond fluke level. But it happened. PTV started recording music and making videos that soon became a very integrated part of Topi and its philosophy. And there was a great deal of writing going on too. The most well-known text being The Grey Book. What was it all about? What was the actual philosophy of Topi? Well, it's clear to see that there's a great deal of Crowleyan thelema in it, meaning Crowley's philosophy of will and considerate subjectivism. But there was an amplification of this more general attitude of what Crowley called do what thou wilt, in the technical sorcery, sorcery system of British painter and magician Austin Osmond Spear, and the cut-up methodology of Barrows and Geisen, all kind of topy saints. The core was one of sacralized free will, and an experimental technology was presented to root out bad habits, imposed by others or simply one's own, and generate change through, quite often, artistic means. PTV were very productive and also worked together with other filmmakers like Derek Jarman, John Maybury and Sarith Wynne Evans to create a cinematic or televisual corpus of ritual footage, poetic propaganda and psychedelic playfulness. The musical side of things took this band, this entourage, on the road to many many concerts all over the world. An example of this first phase could be my own experience of PTV Live, which was in Stockholm in 1984. There was one video screening of their material at Konstfack, which was a college of art, on the first night, and then a regular concert, which also included the videos, at a rock club on the following night. There was a presence in both worlds, so to speak. As a more or less unnamed concept, or culture had already been active in Topi since day one, meaning this mix of occult and culture. The field of research was never ever occultism per se, or culture per se, but always consisted of an interchangeability where eventually the clear-cut borders were gently erased. Books, pamphlets, newsletters, film and video screenings, record and cassette releases and other manifestations could certainly contain more or less blatant esoteric form or content, but it was in no way a prerequisite. L the literal meaning of occult, as in hidden, was given a wider perspective than the merely magical one. Hidden information forgotten personalities, discarded thought forms, untrendy thinkers, eclectic evolutionaries and anachronistic anarchs. 
dusting off shelved illuminations from past ages and offering forgotten morsels of human intelligence proved to be a very fertile soil indeed. A Promethean strike force that passed on the torch of enlightenment from the dawn of mankind to our own revolutionary times. And from very early on, there was a heavy focus on the unhampered sharing of information, hidden or otherwise. All one had to do was let one's interests and areas of research be known through newsletters and other channels, and one was certain to receive something of interest. Second-hand book, long out of print a compendium of Xeroxes from someone's equally enthusiastic archive, or a cassette tape copy of some recordings never released on record or broadcast on radio. Culture in itself is usually associated with performing arts, painting, music, literature, and many other forms of traditional manifestations, the sphere of culture. But essentially, culture is exactly what the word entails, a culture, a structure or soil that contains the implicit possibility of growth and manifestation of life and, in extension, ideas and information. The merging of sperm and egg and their continued growth as one DNA-programmed entity in a womb is perhaps the clearest and most potent symbol of culture. As I said, Topi was not a hierarchical order or group. And this was interesting, as most of esoteric history comes out of very hierarchical fraternities. It's more correct to say that Topi was a meritocracy structured atomically. The proton would be a station or an access point, meaning the local points in time and space, the regional points in time and space, and around these members and interested people constituted kind of electrons and simply revolved around the center in orbit, more or less in orbit. One key magical technique that mixed transformative potential with artistic expression was the process called sigilization. Formulated well by Austin Osman Spare in his books, it basically meant stripping the conscious formulation of your desired goal into smaller particles or denominators that could then be given or be creatively readjusted into new and highly un- or subconscious forms during some form of ecstatic mind frame, most often of a sexual kind. This should be done in an as aestheticized way as possible, for instance, on a sheet of paper, and also include sexual liquids, blood, and hair. This would then constitute one's own very private and vividly symbolic manifestation of will. According to Topi's integration of William Burroughs' mind-boggling romanticism about the number 23, this sigilizing ritual should be performed on the 23rd of each month at 2300 hours. If you began that process, you were given a temple of psychic youth name, Eden, and a number for men, and Kali, 
and a number for women. And if you completed 23 such sigils, you became elevated. Not necessarily in rank, but certainly in respect. But it was also totally possible to keep this process a secret, if you so desired. These special sigils, these magical artworks, were then sent in by the individuals to the Topi stations, UK, US and eventually uh, Topi Europe, where they were filed in confidence. I don't think there has ever existed such a unique collection of heterogeneous yet philosophically resonant magical art, ever. <laughs> This technique was the central one for active Topi members. But there were also rituals that were performed together, quite often for communal goals and projects, but sometimes also for greater altruistic purposes. Very often sexual in nature and method, but not necessarily so all the time. In the UK and US, workshops were held with a Native American Indian shaman called Nomad, and in Scandinavia, we did similar things with a Norwegian shaman called uh, Artur Sørensen, and also with a percussive wizard artist, Zev. This was focused on a more classical form of shamanism, with mind travels to the different spheres or worlds, and communications with what or whomever was found there. The rituals suggested in The Grey Book and other key Topi documents were often the starting point for members wanting to experiment with meditation, traditional methods of ceremonial magic, and one's own sexuality in a directed way. The status or status of Eden for the actively sigilizing men and Kali for the women signified an even stronger internal bond, that is, if one wanted to. There were never any demands on colleagues or Edens to do or achieve anything. Except hi <laughs> Welcome. I'm going I'm going to mute you for for now, okay? Mm -hmm. Um there were never any demands on colleagues or Edens to do or achieve anything, except possibly to be truer to themselves than they had been up to that point. The augmented level of 23 consecutive sent in 23 sigils was reached by very few individuals connected to, to, to the Topi Europe headquarters. Usually, however, that level of commitment to an experimental yet communal goal manifested itself, itself in other ways too, like active help with administration, practical assistance, creating original things, texts, images, music for Topi publications, etc. And thus, few people were able to achieve quite a lot. The structure of official Topi sigilizing combines elements of traditional sexual magic, using the elevated state of mind reached at and before the orgasmic climax to mentally charge a symbol of the desired, of the ideal, 
and also using the highly vitally charged residual secretions, semen and vaginal fluids. A meditational focus, Eastern mantric techniques, Austin Spare's development of an individual alphabet of desire, elements of sacrificial use of blood and saliva, as well as other techniques to maximize the experience as such. Not forgetting creating a totally individual-based artwork to act as a receiving vessel or talisman for the desired. Thereby integrating art in its most important and primordial function as a magical and mystical tool to achieve union with higher cosmic levels of mind and to express one's affinity and desires with and to these levels. Very seldom is this art historic aspect of Topi considered. The archival collection of contemporary talismanic art ranging in styles from totally primitive abstractions to very refined draftsmanship over sexually explicit collages to mind-bending mixed media paintings and sculptures is totally unique in every sense of the word. The term magical art is usually ascribed to totemic objects from Africa or other non-western areas and it's usually something having to do with the past. In the case of the Topi collection, all the gathered works are indeed contemporary or present, but all bordering on, at least in the very moment of creation, the future. Another highly interesting aspect of this art is that it is in many ways an anti-art. It's not art made specifically for other people to see and thereby it doesn't fit in with the contemporary ideals of pleasing a market, an art market. And here we can return to the very origins of art, cave paintings, etc. The idea was not to have a glass of wine together with tribal kin in a cozy cave, to self-aggrandize through witty ironic criticisms. The idea was simply to impose one's will on the world outside your own personal sphere or that of the tribe. Art as magical evocation. Whether other members of other tribes actually could see or understand what one had inscribed or painted was besides the point. On an individual level, the experimenting was active and I would say radical. As an administrator of TopiScan and later Topi Europe, I was fortunate to see and handle European Kali's and Eden's 23 sigils in trust. I was also involved in a proto-creative dialogue with several members about magical results, effects, breakthroughs, ups and downs of various techniques, etc. Hearing what had worked for others, I empirically assembled and concocted my own grimoires and shared my findings with those who had been sharing in their turn. There were also magical workings created and performed together. During the international gatherings, so-called rites, elaborate and ceremonial workings would be performed for goals that dealt with greater topi ideals and visions. 
At TopiScan and Topi Europe, we would not infrequently experiment with sigilizing and other kinds of rituals together. Sharing those kinds of intense and electrified physical and emotional moments with others in trust was a real eye-opener to many of those involved, including myself. The creative framework of a uniting, crystal-clear goal and of experimental techniques that evoke a previously unfelt emotional charge in the ritual chamber can be quite an empowering setting to be in. Another overall method was filtering or stripping thoughts and sentiments from the past so that they could fit into our contemporary times. Promoting forgotten geniuses like Spare, Spare is a good example here, uh, beat iconoclasts like Burroughs or the poet Harry Crosby, to mention but a few, catapulted these spirits into the psyches of a generation brought up on despair and desolation. These pioneers had shown that it was possible, like Crowley had prophesied, to do what thou wilt. But certain psychic barriers had to be torn down or deconstructed first. Topi helped administer some of these tearing down techniques. Excuse me. There were other magical groups of like mind around at that time. The Illuminates of Thanateros, or IOT, generated a vortex of what they called chaos magic with a similar hardcore and pragmatic approach, often ingrained with scientific terms of the day, like quantum physics. Another group was the Order of the Nine Angles, or ONA. They were a more sinister and dark group, or rather a collective of individuals exploring satanic motives and motivations. It's interesting to see that stagnant, fraternal, traditional orders dealing with some kind of esoteric teaching or practical magic and a political climate that was based in a fiercely conservative approach to handling things. I'm thinking of Margaret Thatcher in the UK, for instance. That actually became a fertile soil for truly thinking out of the box. Topi was never interested in politics per se but actively promoted individual liberty on all levels and also fought for some pragmatic goals like current wildlife or animal rights issues, for instance. As this entire environment was deeply rooted in a post-punk or DIY, do-it-yourself culture, the emphasis on a cottage industry psychology turned into great signal and very little noise. Almost every topi station or access point had their own setup for producing printed matter, records, videos, etc. All talismanic and carrying a magical charge in their own peculiar way. Even if only for internal distribution, the output was big and local distribution warmly taken care of by devoted members. Hence, the concept of occulture saw the light of day, 
as hundreds of Topi members digested and divested arcane lore in new and pop scientific ways to a DIY generation frustrated with lies, blunt propaganda and mass market ersatz commodities. From the glamorous spheres of occultism and counterculture, there now emerged occulture, containing sharp philosophies, magical technologies, kudos to those who had worked before us, whether in art or magic, and a general sense of enthusiasm in reveling in the great mystery of life and existence. Topi made out-of-print books available in photocopies to members, and forgotten musics were widely disseminated via cassette tapes. Ditto for forgotten yet inspiring films on VHS cassettes and pirate broadcasts. A lot of previously impossible to find things were suddenly made available by sharing. And this essential theme of availability became a bedrock, an essential foundation. Pragmatically appropriating and recontextualizing hidden morsels of subversive seed and flowers soon became a practical method in which previous levels of abstraction, not seldom placed there because of the need for self-preservation, became very concrete indeed. It was almost as if the process evolved smoother and faster exponentially, meaning the more the merrier. And that's one level of concretization, demystifying old codes and spelling them out in an attitude of inquisitive analysis. Question, can we use this for something? This was true within Topi, not only in breaking symbolic codes in traditional occultism and hermeticism, but also in pop cultural appropriations. An example, Barrows and Geisen were demigods in the Topi mythology. Lots of literature was available, but there was more to it. Genesis Peoritch managed to borrow or acquire 16mm prints of the legendary Anthony Balch films with Barros and Geisin from the 1960s. I then traveled with these prints and showed them in Berlin and other places at independent cinemas, thereby not only reverently resonating with our icons, but also spreading them in a wider cultural context. I also traveled with a film program called Visions of a Culture in 1989, which had Benjamin Christensen's beautiful film uh, Hexan or Witchcraft Through the Ages, the, the version that was narrated by William Burroughs, and some Alejandro Jodorowsky films. And it was the same thing here, inter-order mythology and pop cultural expressions in a wider context at the same time. Psychic Release, which was my own company, uh, also republished some out-of-print books about runes in Swedish by older scholars. And this was relevant to our own availability in terms of the material. Rare books and manuscripts appeared, new contacts were made, and many opportunities arose by these endeavors. And this generated a field of dynamic creativity in which many, many synchronicities appeared and greased the machinery further.
When the first topi phase ended, something else immediately began. The internet began. And with this, a paradigm shift unparalleled in the history of human civilization. Immediately, there emerged a fiction-based subculture called cyberpunk, in which strains of topi inspirations like Burroughs, J.G. Ballard and Philip K. Dick were established even more prominently than during the 80s, when it was mainly singular key people like Genesis Peoridge and Joy Division singer Ian Curtis who brought attention to important instigators like this. A new cyberpunk culture emerged that both feared and loved the internet. Magazines like the American Mondo 2000 questioned, codified, decodified, defined and redefined culture in internet times. One prime mover in the shadows was, again, Genesis Peoridge, who had been exiled to California after the demise of Topi in 1991-92. As a result of those early cyber movements came the successful Matrix films, after which followed a massive infusion of general hocus-pocus in film and in literature. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Twilight, etc. Bland mass market expressions, yes, but still probably very indicative of a world in need of some serious re-enchantment, especially if we consider the enormous successes of all these films and franchises. Schematically, the internet is basically carrying on in a topi tradition, whether conscious of it or not. Making things available, empowering an exchange of ideas and thoughts, promoting human development, encouraging pioneering piracy rather than stale complacency. Perhaps in some ways infringing, but in the hope that some good mutation will happen because of it. A term like occulture is today widely used both within academia and in pop writings, basically signifying the same thing as when Peoridge coined the term, the sphere of impact in general society of building blocks or memes previously kept hidden for various reasons and thereby becoming glamorous enough to draw attention to themselves. Occulture is also when a previously occulted behavior or behavioral pattern or technique for effecting change in accordance with will is integrated in general society and accepted as reasonable behavior. The past decade's wave of pop yoga and pop meditation could be seen as examples of this. Excuse me. Um, I have received a question from one of the attendees. Uh, the question is, do you know how many points there were around the world at, this, at its height? Uh, are you referring to the access points? Great. Um, there were, um, let's see, the stations were bigger and more administrative. Uh, that was uh, Topi US, Topi UK, Topi Europe uh, might have been something else. I would say at its height the access points were probably around 25 or should I say 23? 
that's as as far as I can remember because in England in England or the UK alone there was like seven different uh, things and the same thing there was tor- Topi North America and Topi this and Topi that so yeah there was quite a great I would say around 20 at its height in 2009 uh, a volume called The Psychic Bible was published by the American publisher Feral House and it had been published uh, previously by, by another publisher but in its expanded form the book came out in 2009 um, and that's basically a book, a volume that contains all the seminal Topi texts, not only by Genesis, but by a lot of other people too, collected in a book form. The first edition of this edition also came with a DVD, with a selection of some of the early Topi films. And the book proper contains basically all documents and writings that were the official Topi teachings. What was surprising at this time was not that most of it had matured quite nicely, and it wasn't as dated as I think many old-timers from this time had suspected. The most surprising thing was the interest in the market, so to speak. This first edition sold out uh, quickly, and a paperback version has been out since then, selling in thousands of copies. That's remarkable. This should indicate that there's a respect for the Topi phenomenon as such, and that the ideas presented back then are equally valid today, if not even more so. Psychic TV, as we know, they're still around, touring, making music, making videos, today predominantly as a psychedelic rock group called Psychic TV 3, or PTV 3. I think it was the company called American Apparel, that earlier, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, released a t-shirt with a psychic cross. Uh, you know, this um, symbol for Topi, the psychic cross. And that's actually a logo trademarked by Genesis Peorage. That was, of course, quickly removed. But it's still interesting that in the psyches of these industrial hipster designers, that this symbol somehow exists and feeds back something quite substantial, regardless of whether they're conscious of it or not. Another interesting phenomenon today is of course the massive interest, both within the art world and academia, for predominantly Western esotericism. Now, I'm not saying that Topi alone can take a bow for this, but ending um, almost 30 years ago, there had certainly been a full decade's worth of bringing out exactly that. Artists dealing with topics spiritual, iconoclastic or both. The recent exhibition of the Swedish artist Hilma of Klint's paintings has so far been seen by over a million people. The Venice Biennial of 2013 was immersed in art and spirituality, displaying not only Jung's Red Book, but also Frida Harris, Crowley-designed Thoth uh, tarot paintings, etc. In younger generations of artists, esoteric themes overflow, and when they backtrack in the more recent history of magic and esoteric art, they will surely find topi material, or formulated thoughts somewhere along the line. O culture abounds. There is presently also a strong resurgence or romanticism when it comes to cottage industries, something I find wonderful. The emergence of a new cassette culture, 
uh, vital vinyl editions and fanzine publishing, including anachronistic use of risographs and vintage Xerox machines. Again, we can't say that Topi deserves the praise for this movement, or all the praise for this movement. That would simply be too grandiose a statement. But the occurrence in itself certainly points nostalgically to a time when there was a massive and substantial pre-internet expression of intimate philosophies, forgotten gems, as well as magical and or marginal art, rather than some kind of soulless mass production manifestations. So, a final question. What constitutes the essence of Topi? There are so many things that come to mind, but I guess that the most quintessential ones are the offering of different possibilities, of alternative options, of alternative routes, of inspiring courage and will, of breaking apart uncomfortable imposed patterns and showing, by example, that it is, after all, possible to reassemble the bits in very creative ways. The concepts of occult, culture, and even occulture become redundant on a higher level. What's here for us all in our apparently finite time frame is the definite possibility to access the infinite. How and why we as individuals go about this is another story. The first phase and face of Topi as an experimental centrifugal intelligence agency was so fertile it took on a life of its own and thereby touched upon the infinite. Regardless if one's path is that of a hermit or that of an ardent team player, a lot can be learned from this strange manifestation in human history and culture that has more than any group structure before, taken on the conscious decision to give form and voice, and dare I say, even direction, to the collective unconscious. Thank you. If you enjoyed this lecture, please visit carlabrahamson.com for more information about upcoming lectures and webinars. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a lecture on the Temple of Psychic Youth by Carl Abrahamson. Join us Sundays this September at Morbid Anatomy Museum online for our next conference on psychoanalysis, art, and the occult. Visit psychartcult.org or morbidanatomy.org slash events. If you enjoy what Carl and I do, the best way to keep in touch with us is through our Patreon patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. There we're more actively engaged and direct 
with our audience. If you'd like to read more of Carl's work, visit his publishing company, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can also find his writing in his book, Resonances, from Scarlet Imprint, as well as A Culture from Inner Traditions. If you'd like to read more about his conversations with Genesis Briar Peorage, the new book, Sacred Intent, Conversations with Carl Abrahamson from 1986 to 2019 by Genesis Briar Peorage is now available in an expanded paperback edition. Carl's also recently published the photo book, Genesis Peorage, Temporarily Eternal. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. And now, a song from Jen's final album. Loyalty Does Not End With Death by Genesis Spryer Peorage and Carl Abrahamson. She She fell fell into into an eclipsed eclipsed darkness, darkness. grazing Grazing her her railroad railroad knees, knees, ripping small chunks of skin away, away, as she saw saw faint faint flickers flickers rising rising from the the sticky black black asphalt asphalt, about 50 yards yards away. away. A glowing glowing energy energy of radioactive heat, heat. twisting ribbons ribbons in the fire fire of Moses, Moses. burning Burning bush. Moses, burning burning bush, delivers no message anymore. anymore. Crawling closer, the cauldron turns pearly white. Shape, shape undefined, undefined. pulsates with, with life. life. This, this beating, beating heart, heart hypnotizes her. Angelic, Angelic tarmac, tarmac moving closer. closer. Sheer, Sheer solid, solid frozen, frozen. Icy, icy slaughter. slaughter. Her blood, blood seeps, seeps down. down. Into the moment, from the small chunk, makes liquid blisters move towards us. Iridescent white, dilating, a dazzling jewel, undulating. Her crawling struggle ever closer. Sees life shape-shifting, fresh water oyster. Within her bony grass, cracked shell. Not at all, but mirage, limestone, swirling purple. Beneath her garments, ripped with gold. 
10,000 maggots feeding cementers all closer, closer. Dissolving the glue. glue.